ever consider producing a community radio show? If that's the case, please pay attention. The Pacifica National Board has approved a motion to implement five new hours of programming in Spanish per week at every station of Pacifica, which includes Houston, Los Angeles, Berkeley, Washington, D.C., and New York. If you or someone you know is interested, please send us an email to programación espanol at pacifica.org or visit your local Pacifica radio website. Pacifica speaks Spanish. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is a minute past 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is December the 20th, 2016. Jingle bells. Oh, oh, I think Christmas will be a little late this year, but I have a list of movies for Christmas. Right. When things get tough, the tough go to the movies. Uh, anyway... I wanted to, before I start ranting and raving, I want to be sure to let you know what's coming for uh, Christmas. Some absolutely special, special stuff. Uh, fences. I'm sure you've all heard about fences. And I can't remember. Here, I have a note about it. Yes. Ah, <laughs> that's my Christmas present. It's going to star the monumentally gifted actor Viola Davis. Together with Denzel Washington, um, they did the play on Broadway in 2010, and they have done a, a film adaptation. Uh, on 25 December, we can see Fences. Um, actually, Denzel Washington uh, directed this film version uh he and Viola Davis uh, got the Tonys for the Broadway production. I think that, well, the critic John Lair, remember John Lair in the New Yorker, his father was Bert Lair, the lion in the Wizard of Oz. I love it. Anyway, he says here, 
He's the voice of authority. He says that the cinematic adaptation is better than the theatrical template. Okay. Fences was written in 1983. It's part of a trilogy, I think, a long series. Um, August Wilson is no longer with us, but his works are now on the shelf with classics. Uh, how about that? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're as excited about great actors as I am, Viola Davis is a unique, a unique dramatic human being. Uh, her acting is unforgettable. Think Anna Magnani and Marlon Brando. Okay, Viola Davis, she's 51, and she is not conventionally pretty, which may be one of the reasons she gives uh, for uh, her talent not being exploited, you know, when she was younger. But she's been around for a while. I've seen her uh, small roles in films. There's a profile in The New Yorker, for those of you who uh, collect these things, I have a file now that's getting deeper and deeper uh i i love actors i keep thinking they're my family but that's a little that's a little mawkish anyway uh john lair's essay in the new yorker uh, it's the december 19th new yorker uh it's a profile it's titled act of grace act of grace uh-huh <laughs> anyway, it's a biographical profile, and uh, Viola Davis says that she was not able to be sexualized in her entire career, ever. Interesting, isn't it? As a black performer, she says, well, there are... Uh, limitations as to how we, meaning African-American actors, uh, how we are seen. First time I registered Viola Davis was when she played in a movie called Doubt. Um, she played the mother of a boy. Uh, a priest has been accused of abusing the boy and her response to her response to the well, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, uh, gave me chills down my spine. Anyway, she got an Academy Award nomination uh, for that role. That's the uh, small role in the movie Doubt. Uh, Meryl Streep was in the cast, and uh, when they got their awards, I think uh, she got an Academy Award nomination for that role, and Meryl Streep called her, uh, quote, gigantically gifted. She threw up her hands and said, my God, somebody give her a movie. Anyway, uh, I like it that Viola Davis speaks not just of racism, but of colorism. Toni Morrison has uh, written another book, God bless her, and she tries to grapple with that uh, business of the color line. Uh, some people think it's synonymous with racism, and of course, it isn't. <laughs> but uh, I remember the first time 
I tried to uh, get the school children to read about that. And, of course, I put my foot in it. And uh, I have not tried since. Uh, in the early 20th century, the great scholar W.E.B. Du Bois said that the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. I would say the problem of the 21st century is still the color line for a lot of people. Uh, anyway, uh, Viola Davis uh, goes on to talk about the uh, shame game in the African-American community, the pain of shame and humiliation. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. As the fifth of six children, she grew up in some serious poverty. Uh, says she was delivered by her grandmother in a one-room sharecropper shack in South Carolina. The family got as far as Central Falls in Rhode Island. As a child, she slept in a condemned building without heat or electricity, and she went to bed every night with rags tied around her neck to keep the rats from biting her in her sleep. Her life is amazing. It's a great novel in itself, I think, of Baldwin and Richard Wright and many, many other uh, African-American writers, artists, and thinkers. Uh, let's see. Viola Davis. I think she's been very lucky in her personal life as well. She married an actor when she was 34. Uh, he seems to be the real thing. <coughs> Her husband raised a son and a daughter alone for 17 years, so I think he's probably a pretty cool guy. He's 11 years older than she is. Uh, they adopted a daughter five years ago. Her name is Genesis. I just love that. I was thinking the other day, if I'd only had a daughter, I might have called her Genesis and Jenny for short. I don't know why I think that's... So, so, what is that? Uh, not sweet, but so warm. Uh, I don't know. I, I used to get crabby about these new names, you know, calling people, you know, Beauty and Dawn and that kind of thing. But Genesis for a little girl is perfect. Uh, I have a little friend. She's growing up now. Her name is Liberty. And, of course, she's Libby, so... It isn't too precious. Anyway, uh, her amazing life, Viola Davis's amazing life, is profiled in the 19 December New Yorker. The article is Act of Grace by John Lair. Uh, her surreal reversal of fortune, that is, her going from uh, small parts to being a major figure in the theater, uh, it seems to be not only justice, but providence. She is an inspiration. Uh, I was thinking uh, that it would be wonderful, you know, when I watch Fences, to get a group of people together. Actually, the movie's opening on the 25th, not on television. 
It's in the theater, so I think I'd like to get a group and go see Denzel Washington and Viola Davis in August Wilson's Fences. Uh, in the profile, she talks about filming a scene for a TV series, uh, and Cecily Tyson, she had recommended Cecily Tyson to play the role of her mother. And uh, she says that the, what is it, uh, the wonder of playing opposite, playing with Cecily Tyson uh, was uh, heightened by the fact that it was the 90th birthday of that actor. Cecily Tyson, on her 90th birthday, was filming a theme with Viola Davis. And she said that the thing that moved her most was that Cecily Tyson looked just like her own mother. Anyway, I can't wait for that one. Uh, let's see, folks. I had some more movie notes because I won't be back on the air until the Tuesday between Christmas and New Year's. And I want to make big plans for Christmas. Uh, let's see... Uh, I think my favorite, my favorite new thing on the radio, here I have a note. Oh, yes. The editor of the New Yorker, my little Bible in New Yorkers, the editor of the New Yorker, David Remnick, has started a radio show. It's on NPR every Sunday at 3 p.m. And, of course, I suppose that is a rival network. But, you know, I think, I think it's okay to mention the fact that... They uh, have a an hour show every Sunday at 3 o'clock on NPR. And David Remnick is about as cool as they can get. Uh, he recently did a profile of uh, Barack Obama. title was, It Happened Here. I recommend that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's see. There's another actor... Uh, Janet McTeer, that's been profiled in The New Yorker, much to my surprise. One of those actors that we have seen, but we just don't remember her name, you know, like we remember Elizabeth Taylor or something. Uh, she's been around, golly, I don't know, a uh, couple of decades. And uh, <clears throat> some of her parts have been, uh, well, knocked, them out, knocked it out of the park she did, uh, I think. You know, she and Viola Davis, they're the sort of actors who are so talented, no one stops to talk about their age or their looks or anything. Uh, Janet McTeer is on uh, cable television these days, a uh, role in The White Queen. It's the Stars Network. The White Queen. It's an historical drama about the Wars of the Roses back in 15th century England. And I love it because it's just like America in the 21st century. Factions half a millennium ago. Uh, we had the same kind of civil strife as the Democrats. Yes, the Democrats and the Republicans today and then back in the day. We had the, let's see, the Tudors and York, the House of, let's see, the York is the White Rose, Tudor is the Red Rose. Before that, it was the House of Lancaster and the Plantagenets and so forth and so on. Anyway, 
they're the sort of groups, factions, uh, ideologies. They're, they're willing, you know, to destroy their country to save it, uh, save it for themselves. Their effort to annihilate their enemies in the process does hell of a lot of damage, uh, not just to each other. Uh, most of the characters are related, this one big happy family, you know. We're developing some of the same pathology, you may have noticed. We have dynasties, family dynasties as well, the pathologies developing. Uh, and then, of course, if you remember our civil war, if you look hard enough, I think we're still fighting that one. You know the business about the flag. Mostly it's about the way we think. Conservative, liberal, whatever. Uh, I think we're developing a Shakespearean drama or tragedy uh, just at the moment uh, I I know history does not repeat ever exactly but as everybody says uh, it rhymes right I think it echoes we can always uh, study the human pathology and say you know that the struggle for power is what turns us into Monsters, Or, well, no, I'm sorry, it's all very human behavior. I got a book in the mail here today, uh, The Year That Made Hitler, right, 1924. Uh, I am a little tired of talking about Hitler's crowd. I, I think, mm, I think the parallels are there, but there is more to it. Uh, lately I watched... Hollow Crown, yes. The Hollow Crown is a uh, show on PBS. Yeah, the the uh, the gimmick was to take four of Shakespeare's history plays and um, knock them down to three. And uh, the arc of the show is to present the whole thing, the War of the Roses, over a century. And we see all the mistakes and the conflicts and the uh, pathological feuds. Yes, feudal. That's a feud. Feud develops a feud. Anyway, we see all the murders and marriages and uh, the struggle for power mostly. Right. Uh, who's the boss of it? And they fight for that hollow hollow crown, and they do anything to strangle and wrangle each other. Uh, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. All of this shows you what it takes to create a truly psychopathic ruler. Uh, the psychopath in this case is Richard III, although in the modern play the white queen it's actually it's set in the 15th century but it's got a, a writer that has had a chance to review the notes and it seems that richard the third is in rewrite they found his body late recently in a somewhere parking lot i think in england and uh it's not just his 
grave. It's his reputation that's changing. Uh, history has always been my favorite fiction, even when it's true. You remember HBO gave us 23 episodes of Rome, Rome, in which the death and assassination of Julius Caesar, somewhere in the middle of that series, uh, puts forth the notion or expresses the idea that while Caesar was ruthless, he did begin to give Roman citizenship to non-Romans. In other words, he was a liberal. He even began to give the uh, lower classes, public offices, uh, the right wing just couldn't handle that. You remember how the <laughs> how the Bush family treated the Clinton family. Uh, so vulgar, those Southerners. Anyway, uh, the right wing just can't put up with egalitarian notions. Uh, you know, uh, furners. <laughs> I love the scene in which uh, Caesar brings all these, uh, what would you call it, goths and uh, country folk into the Senate. And he's just decided that maybe the non-citizens should be part of the scene. Uh, of course, he didn't give citizenship to women or slaves. We can't, can't overdo it. Uh, but then... Uh, his nephew, the emperor, Caesar Augustus, Octavian. He's, oh, he's adorable in the series Rome. I just love that actor. Uh, anyway, he sees that his uncle's republic is not going to work. And he also has a tyrannical point of view about things. He becomes an emperor and creates an empire. And, uh. I think the entire show is, a, what do you call that, an expose, an arc, in which we see the process, uh, a republic, uh, Caesar's old republic, the somewhat egalitarian or somewhat democratic Senate, yes. The whole thing becomes an authoritarian state, one-man rule, tyranny, dictatorship, all that stuff. Anyway... I think it's also fascinating. <laughs> I think it's happening again. Here we go again, boys. Fashion your seat belt cells bells. Uh, okay, the first thing to be done if you want to get things under control is to establish complete control over the women. Planned Parenthood is presently under attack, and so... Uh, <laughs> So far, it has survived. I think that the fear, the fright we've been given uh, will cause the liberal community to uh, work hard or send money. But uh, I just keep remembering that the first thing Hitler did when he came to power was padlock the birth control clinics, uh, ban women from the Reichstag, and so on. Uh, now, if all these history plays are just too grim for Christmas, go ahead and uh, look for August Wilson's Fences. I think uh, that's the fun thing to do. Uh, I don't know. I like to just, what is it, 
not not just watch the happy stuff, not just jingle bells, but I've always wanted to just follow the bright lights, at least, at least until, uh, <laughs> at least until he's inaugurated. I I love the images and dreams that lead away from the sorrows of this world. Uh, I think maybe that's part of the problem. You know how it is, liberals. They just try to. Well, we got. Barack Obama into office and then we all split. We wanted to go and devote ourselves to our lives as artists. Yes. Mm, the right wing seems to handle boredom better. They can keep doing the same things over and over. I just want to be lifted up out of the dark. I want to go to fantasy land. To the place where the illusions live. Yes, the joys of Christmas morning to the luminous world of words and songs. Never mind the war. I want to sing the songs about the war. Uh, I want the poems and the music and sweetness and light. Matthew Arnold wrote about sweetness and light in the 19th century. He said it was the goal of existence. He said it was the purpose, the result of education. Uh, our study of humanity is supposed to lead us to sweetness and light, to to tell us that the thing to have is leisure, leisure time. So we don't have to do all this grim political work. You know how it is. Politics takes all your weeknights. Uh, I think, yes, I keep feeling that I, too, have betrayed my country because I didn't pay enough attention. Matthew Arnold wrote a famous essay titled Sweetness and Light, and it produced much laughter from my English teacher. She said that when Matthew Arnold had had enough sweetness and light, he came to grips with the realities of the 19th century of history's nightmare, and she assigned the class the famous poem Dover Beach. That's the one about the poet who accepts truth. Uh, yes, he accepts truth and recommends beauty, but he knows they are not the same. <sighs> All those lines in the poem Dover Beach about a world in darkness where ignorant armies clash by night. Matthew Arnold recommended human personal happiness. Just each other. That's all we've got is each other. He writes, Ah, love, let us be true to one another. You know, and he goes on to say the bit about ignorant armies clashing by night. Yes, my mother always said, Turn off, turn off the news. I, I think that most of us try to do both. Um, I think that I want I want to feel like Matthew Arnold and believe that romantic love is a solution. You know, we have all this pain and problems, but the only relief, you know, is to share, share the problems and give each other comfort. Uh, I mean, what else can you do with world pain? Uh, 
find solace in a significant other being true to an, another human being. Uh, I was going to have chance here. I thought I had time to read you Matthew Arnold's poem, The Forsaken Merman. It's a narrative poem. It was Sylvia Plath's favorite. And uh, <laughs> I don't know why I think it's so special, except that it's about a man who is abandoned and left forlorn. The uh, female goes off to join the church to become a conventional human being. Yes, and he remains a pagan, and he's very lonely. Anyway, maybe I can read The Forsaken Merman soon. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air again next Tuesday. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. and Yerba Buena Center for the Arts present Dance Brigade's 40th Anniversary Celebration Gracias a la Vida, Love in a Bitter Time A dance and music extravaganza featuring Dance Brigade dancers and taiko drummers with musical performances by Holly Near, Christelle Durandi, Patricio Angulo and others Celebrate Dance Brigade's 40-year history of creating groundbreaking, fierce, female-identified, explosive political dance Friday, January 13th at 7.30 p.m. and Saturday, January 14th at 3 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. For more information and tickets, visit dancevision.com or call 415-826-4441. This event is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for Dance Brigade's Dance Mission Theater's move to a new building.